Now the time has come to act. And act fast. I'm leaving. He'll get back here, you pass. Can I say to Wendell? Ain't no way that nobody's gonna leave this town. Hell, I was born here, and I was raised here, and that government, I'm gonna die here. And no sidewinding, bushwhacking, horn swoggling, crocker crocker is gonna roll away, pussy cutter. Now, who can argue with that? I think we're all indebted to Gabby Johnson for clearly stating what needed to be said. I'm particularly glad that these lovely children are here today to hear that speech. Not only was it authentic frontier gibberish, it expressed a courage little seen in this day and age. Hey there, and welcome to episode 5 of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. This week we are discussing the 1995 comic series by Garth Ennis and Steve Dillon, Preacher. There's a new TV series coming out for Preacher this week, and we were all excited enough about it to... Go back and take a look at this 1995 little gem. First book we're reading is The Trade Paperback Gone to Texas. We have a full compliment on this week's episode, including Andy from the Board as Hell podcast, who's joining us from Texas. If you like what you hear, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation of Preacher Gone to Texas. Okay, welcome to this week's uh, Funny Books and Firewater podcast. We actually have someone from every time zone in the continental United States right now online with us. So, uh, starting from the eastern time zone, Q, you want to say hi? Yeah, hi. Yay, East Coast. Fucking cold. Anything you want to promote or anything like that? Uh, um, no. <laughs> no. 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 You're yeah, good. good. Uh, it was my birthday last night. It was super fun. I saw that. I saw you. Uh, I saw you yeah. in drag as uh, Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Yeah. yeah, it was a so, good look. So the the theme was that um, you had to dress up like someone either born on your birthday or a historic event, and Uma Thurman and I share a birthday, so. So you win as Poison Ivy rather than, is it because of the comic book connection? Because I mean, you could also go as Mina from, uh, what am I blanking on, Pulp Fiction. Uh, well, uh, uh, no, I, okay. I, the thing is, I don't really like Uma Thurman. Okay. <laughs> uh, the people also asked whether or not why I didn't do The Bride from Pulp Fiction. Oh, yeah. Or, no, from, Kill, just, or from Kill Bill. Yeah, and or yeah, whatever that other movie was. Um, <laughs> the only Quentin Tarantino movie that I liked. Um, yeah, anyway, all right, moving on. Next. So in our central time zone, in the great state of Texas, we have Andy. Coming from the sane part of Texas, Austin. Hi, everyone. <laughs> Happy to be here. Uh, I'm Andy Wilson. Uh, Adam and I do the Board as Hell podcast together, along with Brooke Heim, and I also write for Big Shiny Robot. Glad to be here. And he's joining us because he has seen the new uh, Preacher TV show, and we will uh, we will get into some gory details, hopefully, about that. Continuing into the Mountain Time Zone, also with Bored as Hell, we have Adam. Yep, that's me. Uh, yeah, Adam with Big Shiny Robot, also with Andy Wilson doing the Bored as Hell podcast. Uh, and two quick things. Uh, we talked about Civil War uh, two weeks ago. I opened overseas this weekend. It's already done $200 million just Holy overseas. Crap. Uh, yeah, so it's had a pretty big weekend. Uh, and then, really quick, my recommendation uh, for this week, if you like good uh, bloody horror movies, uh, go check out the movie The Green Room. Uh, it's a little movie from Sundance that no one really knows about, uh, but it's absolutely fantastic. So, go see that. <laughs> okay. Anything else you want to promote? Uh, my cock and balls. Like them on Facebook. Yeah, like them on Facebook. <laughs> like Adam's cock and balls on Facebook. 
Facebook after dark. <laughs> we'll get a sign twirler out in front of your apartment for you. It'll be great. Just twirl his dick around. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, we have uh, the lovely and talented Todd, also from the Mountain Time Zone, who is ignoring me apparently right now. No, hi, it's Todd. Lots of text in Utah. Makes me sad. Yeah, we uh, we harassed the crap out of Todd when he uh, he was officially lived in Utah longer than he ever lived in Texas because he was the most proud Texan outside of Texas I think I'd ever known. Uh, and, and now, I mean, actually, I don't know if you remember this, but at one point in time, you told Amy that when you guys had kids, she would have to go back to Texas for the third trimester so your children would be born Texans. Is that still true? It might be. It might be. So, yeah, I'm like fifth generation gotta keep it going oh i didn't know you're fifth generation texan okay mm-hmm. well you know if if we succeed in seceding from the union uh you'll have to do that you'll have to get your passport and then you can have dual citizenship that would be perfect yeah it would yeah but if you secede you're taking donald trump with you <laughs> well we're definitely taking ted cruz with us <laughs> that would be a plus you mean you mean, you mean lucifer himself <laughs> I mean, Lady Elaine Abernathy from uh, Mr. Rogers, who he totally looks like. And they both live in the neighborhood of Maple Leaf. Bam! Points. Awesome. Um, and uh, I'm Brian. I have once been to Texas, uh, maybe a couple times. I've been to the airport. I have a sister who lives there. So I've been to Texas. And actually, we are this week talking about Preacher Gone to Texas. But we'll start out, as we always do, except for last week when we forgot, to discuss drinks. Um... I once again made an attempt to uh, to be a bartender, which this week was fairly successful. I looked up drinks. Uh, I found one called Holy Water, um, which when I looked at it, it looked like a total beauty queen, sorority girl kind of drink. And I, I made it, and then I drank it, and then I sat there for a little while, and I stood up and went, oh, that has more of a kick than I thought it was. Uh, it's basically an inch of Sprite. I don't know how that's a measurement, but that's a measurement. Two shots of blue caracal, which I luckily had left over from making the Ninja Turtle last week. And then it said a uh, two shots of like raspberry pucker or raspberry sours. I couldn't find that, so I used watermelon. And um, it, it has a bit of a kick. It's uh, it's not bad. Fairly, uh, fairly sweet, though. So uh, you'll get one of those uh, sugary hangovers afterwards. So we'll go backwards in time. Todd, what are you drinking? In honor of Texas, I have a six-pack of Shinerbach. Uh, that works. Uh, Adam, what do you got? So actually, I this is a, a, a recipe I dredged up from years ago, kind of like the sewer water last time. Uh, it's actually a whiskey drink, which, as you know me, I'm not really a big whiskey fan. Uh, but a friend of ours from high school has uh, this PR firm, and they have a bar theme. So he was trying to think of uh, a, a kind of a fancy drink you could make, but also one that you could you know, enjoy with a client and you wouldn't get shit, shit-faced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, you take an uh, orange and a lime wedge, you put it in a shaker, add about a shot of triple sec, you muddle it all together, add two shots of Jameson, you shake it, you strain it into a, a over ice, and then you fill with uh, club soda. Uh, so it's a little bit sweet, a little bit sour. Uh, it's got the fizziness from the club soda. Uh, I think it's, I think they called it the creative whiskey. I can't remember. Um, it, it, it tastes wonderful, but I warn you that right now, this drink will sneak up on you, and after you've had two or three, you will be done for the night. So be very, very careful with it. But uh, it's, it's, it's my only whiskey drink I really like. So coming from me, this has a lot. Andy, I don't know if you're a drinker or not. What are you? Uh, what are you consuming right now? I'm not a drinker, but I uh, I asked a bunch of my friends. I said we're we're talking about Texas. We're talking about preacher. So obviously we're we're talking whiskey. Mm-hmm. So uh, a couple of good local whiskeys uh, made here in Central Texas, uh, Garrison Brothers 
and Balcones Distillery. If you can find, uh, uh, oh, now the name escapes me. It's uh, Blue, Blue Bell, Blue, Blue something. Help me out here, Brian. Do you remember? Uh, is, are any of these uh, sound familiar? They, do, they sound vaguely familiar, and unfortunately not enough that I'm like, oh, yeah, I totally anyway, know what that the, is. Anyway, the Balcones Distillery, uh, whatever the blue one is, uh, they make it using locally grown blue corn, which is a very, like, central Texas thing. So uh, go with that. But what I'm drinking, um, I figured let's do, uh, let's do blood and whiskey. So I made a mocktail for myself uh, that nice. I think uh, uh, sounds like blood. Uh, I got some of that uh, new Pepsi 1893 with the ginger flavor in it and added a little grenadine and uh, a maraschino cherry. So it, it looks like uh, really dark blood. And I'm, uh, I'm drinking that, and it's kind of like a spruced up Roy Rogers. Oh, also, uh, Andy, was it baby blue whiskey? Uh, yes, it's baby blue. Yeah. Okay. I just did the Google as well. So, yes, baby blue is what you want to I heard more. some keyboards frantically typing as, as people trying to figure out what it was. That was pretty funny. Uh, they also have a single malt that is supposedly very good. That might be a little too high class for Preacher, but but go for it if that's your flavor. Okay, dope. And then Q, what are you drinking, sir? I'm assuming well, it's a since, shot of some kind. <laughs> well, since it was my birthday, I was given a lot of vodka. Of course. Um, so I... Uh, one of the presents was a whole bunch of minis, so that's what I'm drinking right now. It's just minis of uh, Smirnoff. I have raspberry, sour apple, and just regular Smirnoff. Um, as for Preacher, um, uh, I was thinking more of something uh, Bloody Mary type because um, of the whole blood sort of thing. Uh, lots and lots of blood in this. In this <laughs> um, so I had a, a good Bloody Mary is good for me. and. Also, sidebar, I need to take like a two minute recess. I have to, I have to run to the potty. Is that okay? okay. Sorry, everybody. It's like I rushed in the house to like get all this stuff done. I'm like, uh, hurry up and finish your cocktail so I have to go to the bathroom. All right. It's so all I'll, good. I'll, and so I'm going to put you guys on mute real quick and I'll be back in like five minutes. Or no, no, like two minutes. Sorry. That's, that's fine. Okay. We'll just say horrible things while you're gone. Okay, it's fine. Good, please we'll, do. We'll, okay, really bad about you. Please tell <laughs> okay. me we're leaving this in the podcast. We can. I, I left other stuff in other podcasts. Yes, please do. All right, I'm putting you guys on mute. Yeah. No, the uh, a couple weeks ago when we were like, we have no idea what we're talking about, but Q will be able to do it. And we recorded. I totally left all that shit in there of us being like, yeah, we have no idea, but uh, we'll ask you and we'll act like we know what's going on. It's raw and uncut, so. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's not completely uncut. I, I spent a lot of time at work editing this. Well, so. and you know what I mean. We didn't yeah. edit things. I know. Well, as far as what we're saying. Thank you to my employer for un- unofficially subsidizing this podcast. Yes, golf clubs. Uh, little do they know. Little do they know. Uh, okay, cool. So I'm going to say we'll just kind of, while Q is gone, we'll kind of give a little brief introduction to the show. We'll actually kind of keep the semi-official. As most of the time we kind of ramble, but that's okay. Uh, for those of you who haven't read this book, um, I, it's it's essentially considered a classic. In fact, I was looking on um, the uh, Comicsology app, and like if you buy the Essential Vertigo comics, this is considered one of them uh, that they put in there. Um, it is. It does feel very '90s to me. Uh, like it has the art of the '90s, which is kind of that. It's that cross between the old style, kind of simple, simplistic art, and then the new style of. Um, uh, uh, like kind of where it gets highly, you know, graphic and very detailed. It's sort of like right there in the middle, and it it kind of has a similar art style to I felt like 
uh, Sandman and a few things like that. But basically, it's a story of a, a guy who unwillingly uh, ends up getting the power of the voice of God so he can say whatever he wants to say and people will actually end up doing it. And uh, and then uh, through trying to figure out how he got this power and why he got this power, he ends up finding out that uh, he, um, he is... Um, well, the, the God has actually left his post, and uh, and this guy, who's a former preacher, decides that he is going to go uh, hunt down God and make him uh, pay for, you know, uh, for having abandoned his creation. Um, he gets teamed up with an ex-girlfriend, which creates some awkwardness, and uh, eventually their their driver and uh, cohort is a vampire from uh, an Ireland, and uh, we're not quite sure how long he's been alive, but uh, he's uh, plays an interesting role in this as well as it goes further. Um, but yeah, that kind of gets us started in this first book of, uh, of Preacher. Since I have two film critics on this, um, I kind of wanted to ask you guys. There seem to be some similarities to this book and uh, Kevin Smith's Dogma to me. And I don't know if that partially jumped in because uh, the quote on the front of my copy has a quote from Kevin Smith, but it had some very similar themes and tones to uh, Dogma. And I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that. I felt like it was better done than that. So, Really, take a look at it. I think the biggest comparison that I would like to draw between Preacher and it was the uh, Shit Demon versus the Saint of Killers. They both seem to serve the same role. Uh, how do you mean, what do you yeah. mean by that? Well, you've got Hell and whatnot or trying to um, get Jesse or the last Scion out of the picture. And so the Shit Demon's there to um, neutralize and eliminate the threat. And that's what was called up, and people are like, what are you going to do? Oh, no, we're going to get the shit demon. And the people's like, are you really doing that? That sounds like a terrible idea. I was like, yeah, but it doesn't stop. That was really the same conversation people had about the Saint of Killers. Those that were guarding Genesis, and it's like, oh, now we need to get them to stop, so let's wake up the Saint of Killers. Yeah, they're right there. And frankly, though, the Saint of Killers is so much cooler than a shit demon. Yeah, I mean, I think that Kevin Smith, who is himself... Uh, like knows the comic book world and I guarantee you he's read preacher. Uh, and there's a lot of similarity in that story. Um, God's missing. Uh, and I guess has embodied, uh, or has gone into the body of Alanis Morissette. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, she, uh, the main character, Bethany is out, looking for God and uh, trying to stop these two rogue angels. And and I think both of them a, a lot rely a lot on Catholicism and draw a lot from that. I think what Kevin Smith did is he took this kind of basic idea of a faith crisis and uh, Catholicism moving a kind of supernatural story forward and just went with it and made something a bit more personal for himself, but I definitely see parallels there. Oh yeah, definitely. And with you know dogma as well as the story, it's kind of like you know when when God leaves his his or her post, you know where does mankind go and what kind of trouble do you get into when you're relying on your own interpretation of where you, what you think God is, where you think God's going, um, and in, in the case of dogma, they the Catholic Church through the sainted George Carlin. Uh, almost causes the destruction of the whole entire universe uh, if, if what he says and comes to pass the angels pass through the doorway um, but yeah it's it's what happens to reality when men and angels are left to war with each other and fight over um, 
over Gone. And yeah, it's it, it's really funny because I hadn't thought about that before, but the moment you said Kevin Smith and Dogma, it just clicked how much these are almost the exact same story, uh, just with less people fucking themselves with their own dicks. <laughs> so, hi, I'm back. Um, well, I, I was going to say, so when I first started reading this, this is my first time um, reading Creature, and um, like immediately, because I had seen Dogma, like immediately thought of Dogma, but like the difference is that in Dogma, God just sort of takes like a brief, like, oh, hey, I'm just going to go down and play some skee-ball real quick. I'll be right back. You know, I'll be back in 20. Where, and then it turned into, you know, they're trying to keep God out of heaven so that way they can do, you know, all this mayhem. Whereas this is God quits. He's, yeah. like, he's like, deuces, I'm out. Y'all fend for yourselves. I got some other shit I got to do that isn't this. So, like, he's like, nope, fuck this, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, th- I think Kevin Smith's God is, is a, definitely a more benevolent creature than uh, the God here is just like, whoa, we, we have this, like, but it's almost like God has a faith crisis. Like Genesis is so huge and new to them. The idea of uh, an angel and devil hooking up and conceiving a child is just like, well, that totally confounds my reality. Peace. I'm a, you know, I don't have a place here anymore. Yeah. And what was really cool was they mentioned uh, when the angels are talking about why it's such a big deal was that aside from, you know, God and the devil, this was the first new idea they've had because the demons were all a, a facet of Satan and, you know, the, the angels were part of God. So this was a completely new idea uh, for since in millennia. So because it was new, it was just as powerful. And so, you know, it was, I think in that case, like I said, it was a, a crisis of faith and also um, God felt threatened. Yeah, like, I, I kind of got that. I, I, the crisis of faith makes sense to me. I also kind of slightly read it as, you know, God was like, oh, shit, something's about to go down and I'm in trouble and maybe I need to flee right now. You know, kind of, because I picked up both of those those ideas through that as well. But I also felt like, I mean, and we can kind of keep on the movie theme here a little bit, there is very obviously sort of a connection to that early 90s uh, Sundance Film Festival cinema and this book. I mean, even to the point where there is a, uh, in the background, there is a Pulp Fiction uh, trailer, or not trailer, poster in... I don't remember the guy in New York who is sort of the who ends up spoiler alert ends up being the the serial killer they're looking for. Uh, in his apartment, there is a Pulp Fiction poster, which I'm sure is an homage. But there does seem to be a very close similarity to that style of filmmaking that was going on at that point in time and this story. Yeah, there there's definitely kind of a. I mean, even though it's violent and gory, uh, there's kind of a, an aesthetic minimalism to a lot of it, which was kind of the the trademark of a lot of that. Sundance stuff like they're not going to do huge explosions uh, there's nothing like that um, there, there is a lot of blood um, but most of the panels are just characters talking to one another and uh, you, you look at Tarantino you look at Kevin Smith uh, you look at all of those other people a lot of those movies are very talky and uh, Preacher's a you know outside of Bendis one of the most talky comics I can think of and then with just the way the story starts, like they're sitting in a diner talking, which, you know, is such a typical thing in those kind of movies. And you are immediately get that kind of road trippy vibe from them. And then you have like the flashbacks to, you know, a few weeks ago, a few days ago, whatever. And from once again, for me, a little bit of a critique was is I was confused as to when we were in the story it took me a while to like get used to oh okay now we're talking about like you know a few days ago 
and then it was like all of a sudden we catch up to the present and then I was kind of then missing that oh are we going back to the past anymore or are we just we're now fully in the present and just keep going but but that's another kind of thing typical of those kind of movies is that you know we're in the middle of the story and then we're gonna go back a little bit and kind of catch up to where where we are kind of a thing yeah and and for better for worse that's also very typical of garth ennis's writing um which i i like a lot but again i'm also a tarantino fan uh if you ever get a chance i'm sure we'll do it sometime uh his book uh crossed which is to this day, the most horrible, fucked up comic I've ever read in my life. Uh, my husband, Eddie, loves horror movies. I mean, he's you know, a huge Halloween fan, loves all that stuff. Um, this book gave him nightmares. So it, it's messed up, but it's really funny because that book starts the exact same way. It's people sitting in a diner, someone comes in, shit happens, uh, and then you're kind of looking like almost like a zombie apocalypse and the survivors, and then flashing back to kind of where they were when everything went crazy and the outbreak began. Um, so... You can very easily tell, yes, Ennis was <clears throat> heavily influenced by Tarantino, Kevin Smith, the films of the 90s, uh, because that permeates pretty much all of his writing. I'm kind of surprised you could get crossed in Utah, because, like, even here in California, it's sold in a plastic bag, you know, so you have to, like, be, you know, over a certain age to be able to buy it. I'm surprised they let it into the great state of Zion. Oh, it's it's because they're not showing it at Brewies. Oh, that's how that goes. Okay, yeah. so as long as they're not having alcohol with it, you're fine. Yeah. No, I mean, you in, in comic books up here, it's, you know, the, the obscenity laws in Utah really only fall on pornography. Um and even though there is obviously violence and sex and gross things in that book, it's not full on people having sex. So that's probably how they get around it. But um, yeah, they, all the comic shops up here have it. And it's, it's really good, but read at your own risk. Yeah. Todd, have you ever read that one? You know, I just recently bought the very first one and I haven't started it yet. But reading on it, it seems to be a bit of the uh, zombie apocalypse in its own way and exploring that kind of thing. But no, I haven't read it very much. One of the things I think is interesting and we've we kind of hit we kind of hit on it a few times is that uh, this actually has a pretty good thesis as to why a superpower uses their powers in certain circumstances and why it doesn't. And uh, I actually wrote it down because I really liked it. It's it's the scene at the top of the Empire State Building, and I can't remember which uh, issue it is, but uh, it's if you have the trade, it's about page 45. Um, there's a conversation between the vampire, whose name is Cass, and our hero, Jesse Cusser, and it says, I'm looking for the Lord because I figured he deserted his creation, and I aim to bring him to book for that little transgression, to confront him and hear his answer for the charge. He has an obligation to do right by the world, and with the folks he peopled it, uh, with it, and he quits and runs, that ain't facing up to his responsibilities. And part of that same conversation, I kind of started on the wrong thought, but read the right quote. Um, he also talks about uh, Cass asks him why he doesn't use the, you know, the word of God to get him into a better hotel or use all these sort of things. And uh, he kind of, it, it plays into that. He has the power, he needs to use it responsibly. Um, and it kind of seems to be an ongoing theme with most comic books. Uh, with the great power comes great responsibility. But I feel like this book actually handles it pretty well and almost I kind of wish that you know I don't know if Garth Ennis has ever written a that thought process makes me think like he could actually do Superman a fair amount of justice I, I don't want to think about what a Garth Ennis Superman comic looks like I think it'd be fun. a lot of people would get very offended if you if you could do like Superman Max or, or whatever like Superman uh, Superman in the uh, Injustice comics right now which is you know really really good where superman you know snaps and turns into a bad guy and rules earth with an iron fist i mean i think that could be a good uh garth ennis outlet 
I think I think that would work. But yeah, I I, I do think yeah that that's always an an interesting thesis, and it's it's kind of the basis of so much of uh, comics in general as like kind of this male power fantasy and uh you know talking about civil war uh the the idea of how do you check superpowered individuals and uh you know captain america's thesis is we've you know we're the best ones to keep ourselves in check and here jesse custer is like well you know i can control this power because he's not going to abuse it um because he's also on a mission to hold God accountable for misusing his power, which is, or, or neglect of using his power, which is uh, almost an uh, as interesting idea. Um, and Q, since you're sort of an expert on X-Men comics, and it just kind of occurred to me as a thought, how, uh, how is this compared to the handling of people's responsibility with their powers to the X-Men comics? Well, I mean, like, the whole basis for that is, you know, Charles Xavier thinks that people need to be taught and learn. That's why he has the school and um, that, you know, they're mutants sort of, I mean, through throughout, like, their history. Like, mutants are trying to sort of develop their own sort of way of handling themselves. Like, when it's a mutant problem, when it, you know, you know, kind of back in the day when a, a new mutant sort of attacked, it was the X-Men should go take care of that because then they can sort of talk to them and hopefully, like, Charles, Charles Xavier is always kind of, like, on the recruiting mission. Like, oh, you know, you're kind of misguided. You should come join us so that way we can teach you how to better use your powers so, you know, what we should be doing with them and whether or not, you know, you think Charles Xavier is right or whether or not you think Magneto is right or whether or not you're just, you know, a trendy hipster with a Magneto is right t-shirt. Um, you know, it's that that was sort of their way of handling that sort of great power comes great responsibility thing is we're, we're the ones who are trying to um, educate people on how to use them versus just going out there and just doing whatever you want. Well, and that also leads me to an interesting question. Um, do you feel like uh, that Genesis deliberately picked Jesse Custer, Custler, or he just happened to be the guy in the right place at the right time? So my opinion is that I think there's got to be, you know, as the story progresses, which I, you know, I don't, I don't know the, the rest. Cause I haven't read any other issues, but it seems that he was chosen probably for his um, sort of. Um, lack of faith, his faith crisis that he was having, and I think Genesis probably was going for that, maybe even thinking that oh, this is the guy that's gonna not abuse the not abuse the power and, you know, bring God to sort of justice of you know, because cause I'm sure Genesis is probably kind of pissed the fact that he's, you know, this floating head in a cage for, you know, whatever that weird hell, uh, heaven place was so, um Thinking that if Genesis does have all the powers of God Almighty, he probably went in, in search of Jesse Custer. Uh, spoiler alert from the TV show. They they get into this a little bit, and we actually see Genesis trying to possess other people, uh, one of whom is a, it's a great celebrity uh, sighting, and really one of the funnier points of the pilot and I will I'm not going to spoil it for you but um 
Yeah. And actually, going back to something that uh, you know Brian said earlier about you know Jesse Custer choosing to use his powers for good, um, we just had a really great example of someone who doesn't do it for good, and that was in the Jessica Jones TV series with uh, David Tennant as Kilgrave. Um, so that's if you want to see the exact antithesis of what Jesse Custer is standing for and what he's trying to do with Preacher. Uh, if you haven't seen Jessica Jones, which to be completely honest, I'm only about halfway through. I know I'm a bad geek. Oh, um, it's so good. Oh no! Trust me, I, I love it. it. Just it's there's so much. I, I finally finished the Magicians, thank God. Um, but it's it's really well done, and it gives you that great example of you know where you could go if you chose the wrong path. And like we talked about a couple episodes ago, was if you became a villain, like what would you do? Um, and that's a perfect example of what happens if you use that power for evil instead of for good. Well, and Brian, that same speech you're talking about on top of the Empire State Building. Uh, Jesse Jesse says, I tell you, if absolute power was to corrupt absolutely, that is the first absolutely corrupt goddamn thing I would do. But ordering Tulip to commit a carnal act against her will would be an unforgivable sin for which I would be right for which I would rightly burn forever in the fires of hell. So until she sees sense, I'll just continue to suffer the pain of celibacy. Like, he's flat out saying, like, yeah, that's a huge temptation, and that's immediately where he goes, and that's that's Kilgrave's bailiwick. And so, yeah, Adam, you're you're exactly right. It's, it's the exact opposite of that coin, and a really interesting parallel. So do you, I mean, this is kind of a weird theological tangent. It, you know, as much as, obviously, Jesse Custer's not a perfect person, is he almost in this series a Christ figure? Because if you think about it, he's got the power of God, but he's also upset because his father's forsaken him. Uh, that is a heavy question. Um, <laughs> yeah, y'all's, y'all's too deep. I'm too sober for this. It's all Brian's fault. No, it's, it's all uh, Andy's fault. The way he, when he was talking right there, it just made me think of, you know, of Jesus being tempted by the devil. He's like, you know, you can do this. You have all the power in the world. And he said, no, because you know that, that would be an abuse of that power. Well, and I mean, just to, I mean, he's still is a preacher so i mean obviously i mean just because he swears and drinks and wants to have sex with his ex-girlfriend you know he's he still is a you know quote man of god and so he is trying to do what's right so obviously like to him abusing the power isn't something that he is going to want to do hey my buddy's a preacher and he smokes and drinks and has sex with his wife and tells jokes that makes me blush <laughs> well and, and technically speaking uh, Todd and I are also uh, uh, can perform weddings because we did the uh, online uh, pastor thing which I'm yep, me too okay well so since we started talking about the uh, the TV show how is the uh, the adaptation of the uh, the TV show uh, I actually think it's pretty spectacular uh, I think in much the same way that Walking Dead took the essence of the comic remixed it and told basically kind of the same story like a lot of the elements are there but just remixed um, because you're taking a comic book and adapting it for television and obviously something's got to give in that process so I think they nailed the characters uh, the, the three lead actors are all great and they all get really great character introductions in in that pilot um, it starts very differently though uh, we just start off with Jesse in Anvil. Uh, he's he, there's no flashbacks. There's there's nothing like that, uh, and it's just the straight up story. And uh, you get 
you get some things earlier in that pilot than you get in the comics and you get some things much later like there's no saint of killers uh none of that's happening you're not really introduced to any of the police uh you do see our face uh just for one scene and uh you do get um you do get some back you do get one flashback to jesse's childhood and his father um which tells you kind of where his character is going um but there are some very basic differences in how the story plays out and um i i think overall it's done really well i think that i mean obviously fan some fans are going to be disappointed because that's what fanboys do and they show up and they bitch but for me i was perfectly satisfied and said great this is something i definitely want to keep watching is is John Wayne in it because that's actually one of the most interesting things for me. Oh no. I wish. I wish. I'm hoping it's I'm so hoping cool. that, Yeah, I'm hoping round about the same time that Saint of Killers shows up then we start getting the the John Wayne hallucinations well, too. And, That'll and be a lot of fun. backtracking a little bit actually on the John Wayne thing. We've kind of talked about how this feels very in tune with all of the the filmmakers, especially Tarantino and uh, Kevin Smith. Of the '90s, and I just realized that the uh, the John Wayne character is essentially they do the same thing in uh, the uh, the film True Romance, but it's Elvis Presley instead of John Wayne, um, and it's almost the exact same thing where Elvis kind of keeps showing up and giving the hero advice and doing that kind of thing. So like, there is actually far more connection to those films than I had originally realized. God, I haven't seen that movie in over a decade. I need to go back and watch it again. <laughs> you know, I bet Tarantino just lifted that one straight up directly dollars for donuts because elvis is just seems to be a tarantino blending on his own as let's take this guy instead of john wayne so i mean boyhood hero and watching everything else and it's a little bit of a subconscious trying to say hang in there and do a good job and they're both the same character and you know i don't know who's cooler john wayne or elvis in their own right i really don't know they're both awesome yeah but like in all respects true romance came out before Preacher did because Preacher came out about 94, 95 oh. Romance came out in 93 so okay. Garth, Ro- Garth Ennis might have stolen it from, from Tarantino that's fair, Garth Ennis you stole well because it's the same freaking character <laughs> pretty much, yeah it's pretty the much. same character and they're both awesome and they both serve the exact same purpose well, so. and I think it makes more sense for you have a character who's obsessed with rockabilly. Of course, his icon mm-hmm. is going to be Elvis Presley. You have a character who is basically a, a, a Western hero or the mm-hmm. makings of such, um, and frankly, is probably older than the character in True Romance because the character in True Romance is probably in his teens, whereas the character in um, uh, Jessica Kessler probably in this book is maybe pushing into his 30s, I would su- suspect. So with that yeah. time difference a little bit, um, you know, I think the the likelihood of you know, a young Jesse Custler seeing Elvis Pre- or Elvis on TV is less likely than him seeing John Wayne, which is why John Wayne would probably be his his icon. You know, his right kind of thing. Because I think also it, it does inform the character to a certain extent. Because both characters actually, because um, Jesse Custler, his icon as John Wayne, he views it as like a very strong. Um, responsible male who has a, a good moral upstanding whereas the icon of Elvis Presley at least through the eyes of uh, the main character in 
romance is that uh, he's the epitome of cool and that's kind of what the guy wants to be is he just wants to be the epitome of cool and you know be likable and be nice and whatever and like you know be able to do whatever is kind of best like I mean, he, his his moral standing is not the same as as uh, John Wayne is so it makes sense that even though those characters are almost in pop culture at a similar time frame those two mm-hmm. different characters would have two different icons sure and what's interesting watching the icons of both Elvis and John Wayne Elvis did a whole lot of movies and he was a thing but even in Elvis's movies or John Wayne's movies you don't really remember John Wayne's character's name so much it's always John Wayne and I don't care if it's John Wayne in World War II or in a western or whatever it is it's always John Wayne who he's playing in a particular moment doesn't matter because the icon of being John Wayne or Elvis is what's absolutely dominating above everything else. So yeah. There's also a terrible gay film from um, Canada where um, there's an Indian character and he has Cary Grant who comes in, played by Kyle MacLachlan. Oh, I um, like that movie. Who, who sort of... Who, I mean, it's 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 one of the terrible gay films, but obviously I own it. <laughs> you know, I, I I love them all. They're all terrible. But yeah, I, it was a touch yeah. of pink, and that's actually yes. yes. Uh, and Kyle MacLachlan, uh, he does a spot-on Cary Grant impersonation. Yes, uh, he does. It's, it's worth watching just for him because it's so well done. Um, but yeah, not to be sidetracked. But yeah, that's that's why I love that movie because it's it's that and cute guys. <laughs> he keeps calling him Gunga Din. Gunga Din, that's right. <laughs> and he shows up like in the uh, the safari dude with the little pith helmet. And <laughs> yes. And, or, or the, or there's one point, I think he like shows up in a bathtub and you're just like, hey, Cary Grant in a bathtub, what's going on? <laughs> the only gay movie yeah. I can comment on, I think, is Heartbreakers Club, which I watched at Q's house once. And uh, Broken Hearts Club. Broken Hearts Club, that's right. Yeah, sorry. No, but so. <laughs> We've all seen The Birdcage. Well, I guess that's true too. But no, but for those of you who uh, have not seen the Broken Hearts Club, it is a bunch of straight actors playing Gary characters. But in it, every time like a cute guy walks by and they want to draw attention to him, but they don't want to be, you know, like very obvious. They say "meanwhile," so they're having a conversation. They go "meanwhile," so everyone knows to look over the shoulder. And look. And Brian has been meanwhile. Than I IKEA. know. I was. So I was in. I was in an IKEA in like. I think I was in Connecticut at the time, and I there's this ca- this couple down there in the uh, in the I, know, I can't remember they were down in the, the buying section of uh, of IKEA and I'm pushing my cart by and all of a sudden I just hear a very loud meanwhile and I was like I texted Q immediately I'm like I just got meanwhile at IKEA like I felt so sexy it was amazing. But meanwhile, back to the story. <laughs> um, so just a, a shout out to my friend Daniel. Uh, my friend Daniel's from uh, Middlesbrough in England and. Just the way that, um, I, obviously I know that Cassidy is Irish, but just the way that he talks and acts is very much my friend Daniel. And uh, so the whole time I'm just like, where is Daniel? Why is he not in this? Um, Cassidy was, is is definitely my like quote favorite character. I don't know if I could say favorite character because I wasn't a huge fan of this. Sorry guys, um, but because just because he's he says whatever he wants, he's obviously used to doing whatever he wants. And, and but then but then like he's like, Do you know what? This guy Jesse, he's not too bad. Let me turn this car around and go run over that asshole who shot me in the chest earlier. Well, like you do when you're a vampire and you've been around for forever. Well, I just love the conversation he has with himself about, you know, Dr. Cassidy and yeah. why he's going to go back and help him. That scene is like the best, <laughs> is the best like 10 panels in that issue of the comic. 
if you liked him in in this, you're gonna love his intro in the show. Uh, he has this action scene to start off to introduce himself that is just mind-blowingly fun and gory, and and people are really gonna get a kick out of it. Uh, I was my, my favorite line of his is when they're in the diner and he says, "I could really use a fag or a cigarette." And I already knew that he was a vampire because, you know, um, as I talked about in previous um, episodes, I was a huge wizard uh, magazine reader. And so this was a very popular thing for the fanboys at the time. And so they were always doing articles on um, on Preacher. So I already knew he was a vampire, so that was not a shock to me. But um, does it, so, like, you're supposed to think, oh, like, is he, is he like, bi? Like, is he just, you know, oh, oh I feel like having sex with a dude right now or a cigarette. But really, it's like, so do, like, gay people taste different? Because, like, that, that was, like, my immediate thought of, do we taste different? Do we taste of, like, rainbow funfetti cake or vodka? The problem is, is when, when you, uh, when you feast on, uh, on gay people, you get a lot of conf- uh, glitter stuck in your teeth. I mean that that is true. That is true. Oh no! I was just—it was kind of funny you mentioned that again. Side tangent: uh, there, there's a role-playing game called Vampire the Masquerade that was really big back in like the early, <clears throat> two, uh, early 2000s, late 90s. And there was a thing in there where, uh, if a vampire went and bit someone who uh, was like drunk or on heroin or was on coke, it actually would make the vampire. Um, you know, drunk or high or whatever else, and some people, some vampires actually get addicted to it. So I would assume that if a vampire uh, bit a gay person, they become sassy. <laughs> Sorry, I was on mute and I just laughed so hard at that. <laughs> Immediate sass. <laughs> it's, one of, <laughs> it's one of my favorite memes. Was the reason why I'm gay is because when I was a little child, I sneezed and no one said God bless you. So the devil entered my body and made me the sassy bitch I am today. I wonder what happened to me then. Oh, oh, Brian. I know. Oh, honey. Oh, honey. oh sweetie. Did I ever tell you? I, I, I made the realization once that I talked to all my gay friends the way I talked to my three-year-old nieces. Like, it's like, oh, sweetie. Oh, honey. How are you doing, beautiful? How's it going? And I suddenly went, I do that to gay people and little girls. I'm like, eh, okay, I guess that was same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically just just talk to gay people like you're a member, like you're part of Absolutely Fabulous. <laughs> sweetie, honey, darling, sweetie. <laughs> Should we have some nibblies? <laughs> so that makes me Is want it to a bee? <laughs> Who knew that an uh, episode on Preacher would delve into so much of gay culture? You gotta love it. Right? You're welcome, America. <laughs> um, so, 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 back to the... So, you guys definitely are pushing me out of my sort of comic comfort zone, which this, which which I'm thankful for. But this is definitely like not my bag. As I said earlier, I'm not really a Tarantino fan. Um, the so th- this comic, though, I, I will probably watch the show. Um, I just you know out of curiosity of, of you know where it goes. I, I, once again, I read a lot of articles about about the comic book. I'd never read it before, and I'm just like, oh, okay, like this is just not sort of my interest. Though it's, you know, I feel as though it, it's well written. It, it, to me, it definitely feels that sort of dated '90s. Um, you know, we, we're we're in comics, and so we're just gonna swear to swear, and we're gonna shoot people's jaws off because that's cool. And um, yeah, I, it just wasn't. I wasn't really feeling it, but you know, I'll. I read it, so 
I will agree that it, it does feel dated, at least for me, the art does feel dated, and uh, it does have a little bit of that, we're going to push the boundaries because we can't push the boundaries. I am curious to know which you hated more, Preacher or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Ninja Turtles, most definitely. You're, you're very anti-Ninja Turtles, so, so this is above Ninja Turtles, at least. Yeah. Sorry that I couldn't join you guys for that thing, because, oh my god, that was, that was a big pile of shit. <laughs> Sorry, I was not a fan of that. Uh, the rant but, on the phone was amazing. It was the best lunch break <laughs> I spent all week. It was great. And see, I have to. I, I'm going to step in because I, I haven't read the whole preacher series. I've got. I, I've bought all the trades, uh, except for like maybe the last one or two. Um, and I just, again, unfortunately, work sucks. You get busy. Uh, so you know, you guys, some of you had never read it. Some had. So I figured I was just going to jump back in and just kind of skim through it to kind of remind myself of what had happened. And going through it now a second time, I, I couldn't. I had to slow down, read each panel, check out what they're saying, uh, and was catching little things I didn't notice the first time through. Uh, so I, I've been a huge fan forever. Again, I do need to finish it. Shame on me. Uh, but I, yeah, it is, it is the 90s. It was dated. It was, you know, when Spawn was kind of making it out there and was making waves as far as how you could do like an adult type comic. Um, I mean, this is, you know, only a few years after like Watchmen and stuff. Um, but like, I, I absolutely love this. I, I, maybe because I know where the story is going. Um, but it's, it was one of the first almost irreverent comics that went out there and was asking bigger questions about God and, and like why God left his post. And, um, so it, for me, even just, you know, reading it for the first time a couple years ago, it was the first time even I had seen a comic that, um, maybe question things in my own life about religion and theology and everything else. So maybe that's why it's more impactful to me uh, than maybe someone else. Yeah, you know, I had a somewhat similar experience where I first read this at the time when when I got back into comics, which was around 2000, 2001, and one of my friends who was kind of my dealer and kept hooking me up, he's like, you got to check out Garth Ennis, and here's Preacher, and here's his... Uh, um, here's his Punisher stuff. And so I read all of Preacher. And at the time, I was like, wow, this feels very dangerous. This feels very edgy. It's pushing a lot of boundaries. It's it's intentionally like very offensive in a lot of ways. And as I read it through now, I'm just like, meh. Nothing shocking. Like, uh, maybe it's because I'd already read it before and because there's now so much more out there. And like Adam said, Crossed. Like, once once I've read Crossed, it's just like, Garth Ennis' Preacher seems tame. And, uh, you know, and we've got uh, stuff like Saga that, that's out right now that, that really is pushing boundaries. And it, I, I agree, this, this feels a little dated now. Uh, I still like the main story because I think that uh, those characters, Jesse Tulip and Cassidy, form a really interesting triad together that that Jesse's powers and his quest make him interesting. And, and as Adam said, the theological implications uh, are are also interesting to me as a person who often wrestles with my own faith and my own faith crises, that still rings true to me. Uh, so I think there's about half of it that I can do without, and 50% of it still kind of works for me.
wasn't a whole lot that um, sort of did those kind of things. But to me, I'm, like, I, maybe it's just because I'm reading it now and wasn't reading it in, you know, whatever year it came out, like, 90, what, 95, 96? Yeah, about 95, 94, somewhere in there. Um, because to me, I'm just like, don't tell me what I'm going to be offended at. Don't tell me what I'm going to be shocked at. Because that, And that's what it felt like. Like, oh, you're going to be so shocked because we just dropped an F-bomb. And you're going to be so shocked because Tulip just shot a guy's jaw off. And you're going to be so... And so to me, I was just like, don't tell me what I'm going to be shocked at. Just, you know, show me the story and, you know, I'm, you know let me just you know, go through it instead of being like, and now you're going to be shocked that all of the people's flesh is burned off in the church. And I was like, uh, okay. Like, you know, I, it, it, and once again, as someone who has read a whole bunch of things and it, it, once again, I'm reading it now instead of when it came out. I, I was just like, oh, okay, next. Well, see, in that one, and that, and that scene actually just made me think of Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open the ark at the end and everyone gets zapped. Yeah, no, good call. So I, I didn't find I didn't really find the church scene like is supposed to. Well, I guess maybe it was supposed to be shocking, but we also have Kingsman now. So after Kingsman, there's not too much that can happen in the church yeah, that exactly. would shock me. Oh my God! Speaking of another great movie, everyone should see it if you haven't. Yes, and we're getting a sequel. And that boy is so cute. I just love him. <laughs> anyway, sorry, sorry, everyone. <laughs> he was really good in Eddie the Eagle too. So if you haven't seen that one, it's a completely different role. For no, him, that, that's one. I, that's what I, I, I put on my list. Yeah, he's, he's kind of grumpy in that one. Yeah, it was. It was definitely a feel-good movie. If you want to go see something and just makes you walk out and be like, "I have a good life." That's that's the movie for you. <laughs> and has a very '80s vibe to it too, which kind of holds up. I do have a question, Q. That kind of poking on your idea that. Um, you know, it was telling you what to uh, actually. It's probably for everybody because we have film critics involved in this as well. Um, the, you know, it's uh, poking at oh, you should be shocked by this, and you should be shocked by this. I sometimes see like older classic movies because that's kind of what I really like, and you see something in there and you go, oh, that's really cliche now. But sometimes what you're seeing that's really cliche was actually shocking for the time frame because they were the first person to do it or that was the first one to do it. And I almost wonder if this is one of those books, and maybe, I mean, I don't know, this is a history kind of thing. Um, if this is one of those books that actually was originally shocking and now since so much of culture has copied it, it now seems A, less shocking and a little more like, um, you know, like a little cliche almost uh, because so many people are doing it. I mean, it, it, prob- it, it probably was at the time because I mean, you know what? So what? So Killing Joke came before this, which yeah. is you know, not quite as gory, violent. Um, yeah. So Dark Knight Returns, which isn't once again super gory, violent. So I mean, I guess so. Well, to speak more of a little bit more of my experience, like Oklahoma, I fucking hate that show. It's terrible. It's boring. Like everything is just cliche, cliche, cliche. But then you have to remember that. When the show was written, like this was all brand new, breaking boundaries, and that the reason there's a dream Curly and a dream Lori was because people didn't used to dance and sing. You either had singers or dancers. Um, so you know, the, I, I, so I mean, I, I definitely concede to that thing that when this was written, it probably was very, very groundbreaking. Whereas, like once again, reading it now, it's just not. You know, I even as I was rereading this again and. People are always trying to up themselves. I mean, you have your some of your horror movies, torture porn can be called a genre. Then with Eli Roth and some of the stuff he's doing, and it just becomes gratuitous for the sake of gratuity. But what's always interesting to watch is a good story that fits with what's going on on screen, and I don't think that's ever gonna not be the case. 
in this regard. So when it's done well and everything, it's good to watch. But then you have a movie like Avatar, and they did amazingly well. But you watch it, and it's really Dances with Wolves or Ferngully, The Last Rainforest, all over again. Just kind of with a new technology to watch. But, so it's got a new technology, and it comes back with Story versus Graphics, and it's the best-selling movie of all time. But I would also argue and say Avatar has had zero cultural impact. I mean, who dresses up like a Navi these days? Nobody cares. Star Wars was a bit of a mishmash of other things, but it still has such this presence as it's going through, and it's amazing. But Avatar, the top movie ever, and nobody cares, and ask anyone to name one character, let alone two, and they'd be hard-pressed. It was a flash in the pan, and it just disappeared. And it just... And nothing was done poorly. It's just the sum of its parts was wasn't very synergistic, I would say, and it just had no cultural impact. You read Preacher and everything else coming through, and then you also have Dogma and some of these other things, and you can tell the impact one had and fed off the others. Oh, completely. So, well, I mean, I, I, I kind of, in a similar thought process to the um, uh, conversation about uh, Avatar, you look mm-hmm. at um, a movie like we'll say The Matrix. The Matrix comes out and then suddenly for the next 10 to 20 years every fucking action movie has a Matrix-like sequence because visually it was so iconic and it did something so different and so interesting. Although it was not, I mean, it was, I think it was probably more popular on video than it was actually in the theaters. I don't know a ton of people who saw it in the theaters. I happen to because I skipped school to go do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, like you see how much impact there is on that movie, you know, going forward. Whereas you don't see a lot of people being like, oh yeah, we're doing this movie, it's like, it's Avatar, but with whatever. Like, no one does that. No one fucking cares. You know what I mean? Like, Avatar kind of just, it did its thing, and it stayed there, and it does its thing, and no one else is kind of trying to copy it. Which I think is, is an indicator of cultural impact at that point in time. Sure. I mean, the greatest thing tried to copy from Hollywood is, oh, let's just make everything 3D and charge more money. And 3D yeah. really burnt out in a lot of regards because... Even though the technology can be cool if used well, if it's just, oh, it's just one more thing to add on and charge more, the audience resents it and going, why are you doing this thing that makes no sense for this? Yeah. So, but yeah, I agree with that there, but it's not, it lacked impact and you watch it mm. and, and it doesn't hold anything. I mean, you sell people who have loved Avatar, but nobody cares anymore. There's still people that love The Matrix, and it's still good. You can see the effects everywhere, and it's still there. The um, Wachowskis haven't done anything, arguably. They haven't done anything as impactful since then. Even their sequels and nothing they've done, nothing has been had the same impact, and probably never will. But, yeah, they uh, kind of peaked early in this regard for their career, and that's too bad. But, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think you get that with a lot of Hitchcock, but then I... I still watch Hitchcock films and I'm like amazed at how how classic some of them are like Vertigo just absolutely amazing but like the last time that I watched The Birds it was it was almost like I started laughing because in a world where we have Sharknado and and things like that it's just like 
oh, the birds are turning evil and attacking us. Yeah, it does seem cliche and it seems silly. And and I, I think you always risk walking that fine line. And um, But if you're the first person to do it, then then it works like nowadays though it's like oh well there's there's a preacher and his ex-girlfriend who's a contract killer and a vampire uh who's an irish drunk and you're like mm, i don't know that that just seems yeah n- like not as interesting but in the 90s i i'm i have a problem though because i am kind of out of my context like that was my dark period for comics i got out of i got out of comics like right kind of mid early legacy virus x-men era and then i didn't read anything until like 2000 2001 so i you know i don't know what else was going on in comics at the time for context so I, I'm assuming it, it was incredibly groundbreaking, but I didn't pick it up for another half dozen years. And it's, it's interesting you brought up Hitchcock because we talked about, you know, changing social mores and what was, you know, what is, how, what was shocking then wasn't shocking now. I mean, you know, Psycho was the first time you had a flushing toilet in a movie. And nowadays we're having arguments about free, you know, free the peen. You know, we need to see more penis in our movies. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, you look at, you know, 50, 60 years or 70 years. Um, how far things have progressed and changed, um, and you know we could go back. We could look at you know the the sexual revolution and the hippies of the '60s and '70s, uh, the fall off from the Vietnam War, uh, the Reagan. I mean, Reagan, you can Reaganomics. You can go decade by decade and just see how things changed, um, and you know especially with the internet now. I mean, what what was shocking ten years ago? I mean, that's on your that's on your Facebook feed. I mean. You, you can't go... Remember when it was a big deal that Ellen DeGeneres' character came out as gay oh, yeah. on her sitcom? Like, oh my gosh, it's a huge deal. And her show got canceled because of that. Like, they've lost, they've lost uh, sponsors. Yeah, I know. And then, like, oh, it was the first gay kiss on Dawson's Creek. Which they didn't show. A very special... <laughs> Yeah. A very special Dawson's Creek in 1999. <laughs> like, and now we have Dawson's Crack. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's things things change rapidly, and uh, you know we can argue whether it's people who are becoming more liberal, more permissive of society, and I think that's part of it. Um, I think it's also in the good way becoming more enlightened and realizing that what everyone got their panties in a bunch about, you know, 30 years ago wasn't really that big of a deal and there's more important things to focus on that's kind of the message of of preacher in general is you know you've got war famine uh genocide and like where where is the moral authority that's like fighting against these things we're we're getting upset because uh you know oh well someone offended me and you know someone someone blasphemed essentially and it's like well that's that's pretty lame like that's actually not very offensive in the grand scheme of things it's like millions of people dying from a preventable disease because we're too apathetic and rich people won't chip in a few cents off their dollars to pay for it like that's offensive oh and and for the record blaspheming is not saying god damn it blaspheming is doing fucked up shit in the name of god so uh, let's just get that out there that if you're you know be, you know if you're 
denying service to a gay person because of your religious beliefs, uh, you are blasphemy. Good point. So, good point. On that <clears throat> religious hearts. So, so I was just going to bring up because I was just reminded of this as I was flipping through pages. That another reason that this feels dated is because, like, so Arseface, who is such a weird character, um, but he's he's Arseface. Hey, I love Arseface. <laughs> and he's Arseface because of Kurt Cobain. Like, once again, reading it now, I'm just like, really, Kurt Cobain? Like, that was like 20 years ago. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's when this book came out was 20 years ago. So I, I think, again, like, that's why it felt a little a little too dated because it like like unfortunately when you use pop culture references in your media it you're immediately time stamped and and then people just move on from like it's just like oh that was 1993 next well it's interesting that he used Kurt Cobain though because that actually still has a certain amount of resonance you know I mean to say that this kid was a kid and he killed himself or he tried to kill himself because of Kurt Cobain right there at that moment is one thing but like Referencing Kurt Cobain still, I mean, has a certain amount of uh, relevance. First of all, just just because some fucking teenagers that I went to Florida with, high schoolers, wear uh, Nirvana t-shirts does not mean that Kurt Cobain still has relevance. It's because these <laughs> kids seem to think that they're going to be cool by wearing a Nirvana t-shirt. That's true. I dated a girl who uh, we almost had to break up because she didn't know who Kurt Cobain was, and I was like, okay, this this is not. Oh, you're going to hate me because I I don't like Nirvana. <laughs> Oh, I, I I don't like Nirvana at all. I'm not saying you have to like Nirvana. I'm just saying you can be culturally aware enough. I mean, I, I don't like them at all. Yeah. I'm just I'm just saying that like the kids today seem to think that because they own a T-shirt that and so then when I asked her, I said, oh, so what's your favorite Nirvana song? And she said, um, smells like Teen Spirit. I was like, okay, typical. I was like, well, can you name three other songs that they have? And she was like, no, but I really like the song because the guy from Five Days of Summer was wearing this shirt and the oh, album cover, so we had the same shirt. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and I'm like, first of all, I bet that that kid actually has one from a Nirvana concert where you just bought this from Target. Get off my lawn, you damn dirty kids. <laughs> I know. Oh, I've turned into such a crotchety old woman. I think it moves it more into a period piece, and it does date it, but there was a purpose, I feel, and it can always move it. I mean, we're of the age now. That 70s show, when it came out, was closer to the 70s than we are to the 90s now. And that's okay. Art's face, as I was reading again, is such an awesome character. Here's this kid following Kurt Cobain, and he just got sucked up in idolization. And after he shot himself and couldn't even figure out how to kill himself right, he decides he wants to live. And even mm -hmm. though he's trying to want to live, he is such this, oh, I'm going to be a happy guy to help my dad out, who just looks at me as forever pissed off. And... You've got Garth's Enos writing of how Arse Face is talking and then the translation underneath. And I find myself trying to cover up that translation the first time through and guess what he's trying to say. Then you read it and you go back again. And it is absolutely hilarious. And then you look at the art with the um, sheriff and his old man just sitting there in utter self-misery. And it is one of the funniest things I think I have ever read. I absolutely love this happy-go-lucky walking asshole. And the dichotomy of it is so funny. And you just watch, and this dad, I mean, he is, back to that 70s show, he's just like red on Amped Up to 11, the old man. And he's like, what the fuck do I have going on here? And he's like, hey, dad, love you, dad. What can I get you, dad? But he doesn't understand a single word, and I don't think he cares to. And yeah. it's great. 
So you it's have this whole character. Hmm? Oh, no, it's like you, you have a guy who is an asshole in the sheriff, and then his son, who is the nicest dude in the world, probably, um, mm -hmm. is probably akin to Kenneth on 30 Rock, but he looks like an asshole. Mm -hmm. like he's, there's an interesting irony there, which I'm sure it was on purpose. It is really there. And I think what makes Preacher so great, even all these side characters, they're fleshed out really well. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of extraneous in that regard or afterthought. Between the Saint of Killers, Arseface, Cassidy, Cassidy is great. I mean, he's kind of a walking id with a heart of gold. I really like Cassidy. So, every character here is just so well and has a full history and everything thought out. It wasn't, oh, I've got to fill in this beat with something here and just a walking cliche or seat filler. Tulip, Jesse, I mean, everyone, the series in a lot of ways could have been based on any of them. And I would have read mm -hmm. it. And I think that's the, um, with the strong writing, I mean, I would have, I would love to have read Cassidy's backstory or have him living, what was he up to 80 years ago? That would have been awesome. Tulip, nah, Tulip's pretty good. But Arseface is great. Jesse is great. Even the sheriff seems to be a cliched pulled from whatever Western sheriff, but at the same time, he's real, which is great. So the strongest thing with the writing is with the character development. And the art, as you look at it, says does set it as the 90s. But it's very, it's not as kinetic as a lot of stuff there, but it is gristled and it's raw in a lot of ways too and it's great i really don't have a lot of bad things to say about that so garthina's way to go even though he's not from texas and he tries a few spots he um kind of makes fun of it too in a couple parts it's good okay so here we go i'm just gonna do this just for fun uh we'll go around the room and uh, we'll all say one thing from the 90s that we're glad is gone or that uh, we hated from the 90s that every time it creeps back up it annoys us I'm going to start with Q because I'm sure he has something to complain about. I, I mean, there's so, there's so many things. Um, I, I think it's the um, overalls, especially the backwards overalls. You actually stole that from me. I've started seeing people at work, like kids come to work wearing the overalls that like I wore like in the early Ugh. 90s. And I was like, Kids no. are not allowed to wear those. I'm it sorry. Was, it's, it's weird to be old enough to start seeing fashion trends come back around. Like, that, it's very strange for me. I know, I'm like, oh, no, I know how my mom felt when bell bottoms were becoming a thing again. <laughs> so, one of my most embarrassing memories is I was in Houston, Texas, graduating from the fifth grade. And down there, fifth grade's the end of elementary and you go to junior high or middle school, whatever. And we had this class party and we were all dancing to Genesis, I Can't Dance. The fact that Genesis is gone is one of the best things that has ever happened with the obliteration of anything. I do not miss Genesis. <laughs> I totally had that CD. I know, I totally did. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do I not miss from the 90s? Genesis. I do not miss Genesis from the 90s. That can just stay away forever, along with coveralls. That just really sets the scene so much. And Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, and you've got Will Smith rocking the coveralls, and you you look at it now, and you're like, only really skinny girls with big boobs should wear coveralls. Besides that, stop. Okay, Adam, 
Okay, so uh, I got my. I, I went to the Tarantino f- School of Film. Uh, I worked at Blockbuster for three years. Uh, I am so goddamn happy that VHS tapes do not exist anymore because the whole be kind, rewind. I, I, I have nightmares where I still wake up because I'm rewinding 30 videos and someone's pissed because the movie they want is still rewinding. Um, and not only that, but like when a tape would get messed up, I had a whole little thing I would use to like splice tape together. It was like it was like it was a film editor. Uh, so yeah, so fuck VHS. I'm, I'm glad Ooh, it's gone. Girl, we had Betamax until 1994. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay, Andy. Um, I I guess I'll go with like. Um, lack of DVR and cell phones. I mean, I, I like, I mean, I, that's kind of the opposite thing. Like, but when I was a kid, I hated having to watch TV, like on a schedule. And like, I'm just glad that I don't have to, I don't have to watch Seinfeld on Thursday night. I don't have to be there on Sunday night to watch the Simpsons. I can do it any damn time I want. So if that if that counts, then then I'll take that. Because uh, the other things I was going to bring up, they're they're all still around. I was going to bring up like Tom Delay and Newt Gingrich, <laughs> and they somehow keep holding on. Yeah, I actually was thinking about it. I kind of liked having television on a certain amount of schedule. It almost gave life a certain amount of you know uh, logic to it. Because now you can watch anything you want at any point in time. I remember very much like especially when I was a kid. My schedule was based on what TV show I was watching. It's like, oh, okay, I've watched the Dennis cartoon. Okay, now that's over. It's time for me to get up and, like, go to school. And uh, you get home, and first thing you do is you watch the rerun of The Monkees on uh, Nickelodeon, uh, which it's kind of kind of strange to not have to have any of that. But I also, I will say this. The one thing from the 90s I missed that was actually still here and still around that I haven't seen is Saturday morning cartoons. Because... Uh, when I do have Saturdays yes. off, like it's like I feel bad for kids who don't have the opportunity to like get up early in the morning, leave mom and dad, let them sleep in, get a bowl of cereal. They have networks for that now. They don't need Saturday morning cartoons. There's whole networks. I know, but there was something about like that cartoons. was the kids' time on television. That's when you. That was when you got to own the TV for a little while. You know. But as as someone who uh, so, yes, I live with my parents. Um, my parents watch my five-year-old niece. I'm sorry, she owns that television. <laughs> like, obviously, you, not, you don't live with kids, Brian. I like, she don't. owns the TV. Do you want So even so, um, you know, I was just in Hairspray, and um, she came to see the show, and she loved it. So do you want to know how many times I've had to sit through Hairspray? Near the house. Yes. Before she was obsessed with Sound of Music. Now it's Hairspray, and I'm like, okay, honey, I'm so over these songs. Can we please watch see, something? I need to show her. Now you just need to show her John Waters' other works. <laughs> Kate Flamingo is at the top of my list. Men female trouble. They have bailed me up the bowel movement. Uh, see, my, my kids are completely the opposite. I try and get them to watch stuff on the big TV with me, and they're like, no, I want to watch my own show. I want to watch... I want to watch PewDiePie on YouTube. I want to watch Stampy Cat. I want to watch all these other ridiculous things. Um, and they like, I'm like, we can, we have the YouTube app on the TV. We can watch those videos here, and we can watch them together. Nope, nope. I want to watch it on my tiny little screen. Yeah, they would and, rather have it plastered to their face on their pad. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. So I, I don't know. Kids these days. This episode <laughs> of the Geritol Hour. 
Yes. <laughs> so how about that preacher? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> Back in the 90s when we used to read comic books, this is the book we discussed. So also you guys got me to actually purchase um, it on my iPad. So this is my first time reading a comic book, not as a book, but on my iPad. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so, I'm so technically savvy. Once again, as yeah, you guys are like, what's your, what's your running speed? And I have no idea. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I read it as an. It took me a long time because I kept flipping the page on accident because I would touch the screen. So once again, once again, old lady over here. I was like, what is going on with this? Other than that, how do you like it as a digital format? Um, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. I mean, it saved me from having to order it from Amazon or going to, God forbid, BAM, um, which means I have to, like, travel to Waldorf. Um, which, for but, those of uh, you who don't know, is, is very far away. It, it's it's a half an hour away, yeah, but it's... You know. So, as, as Hillary Duff, or, no, yeah, Hillary Duff once said, it's ghetto. Um, <laughs> she got a lot of flack for that because she was dating Joel Madden from... Uh, um, Good Charlotte. Good Charlotte at the time. And she said it was really ghetto. And people were like, Waldorf isn't ghetto. I'm like, girl, Waldorf is so ghetto. Oh, I miss like, Joel. I haven't seen him forever. Uh, you know Joel, too? I, I wasn't, like, good friends with him, but we hung out a couple times. Yeah, he was always really nice. Oh. oh. Um, yeah, so I went to high school with them. Oh, cool. And um, their, their sister, Sarah, is actually a, a good friend of mine. Um, but, yeah. Yay, yay, Benji Joel. Um, when um, when we were younger, one of our, our friends, Aaron, who was the original dr- drummer in the group, he had a, a little sister who's now like 22, which freaks me out. Um, but she was she was a baby, and so when she would see Benji and Joel, she would just call them Benji Joel. So like there was no distinguishing between the two. It was just Benji Joel. Um, anyway, uh, Good Trail's releasing a new album, so plug for them. Good job, boys. Okay, well, so uh, we're getting close to that wrap-up time. Do you guys want to go through and uh, give your reviews? Q? Uh, so, uh, I also have to go because I was just told I had to go set the table for dinner. Um, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, it, it, it definitely wasn't wasn't kind of my comic book, but, I mean, I, I still enjoyed it. Like, I, I liked Cassidy. I thought he was fun. I will probably um, watch the, the TV show. Um it, yeah, I, I am a little curious as to how the whole finding God thing plays out, and what and why God left. So you know, I'm so, it wasn't my favorite thing. I probably will just read Wikipedia versus reading the rest of the book. <laughs> um, but I, I actually it, looked up the Wikipedia on the series. I don't think they have that much information on it. Oh really? Because huh. like yeah. X Men, you can just like fucking read oh, the yeah. comic books on Wikipedia. Yeah, just make anyway. sure if you, if you do that, at least go to like your. You know, friendly neighborhood comic shop. Uh, pick up the last trade and just watch the final interaction with God, because that's that's worth the price of admission alone. Okay. Well, now you've ruined that he finds God in the end. But okay. Well, it's his quest. <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. Um, Q, before we lose you, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so next week we are going to be discussing. A choice of yours, because there is a X-Men movie coming out, so we're reading an X-Men comic. Yes. Uh, do you want to give us a little plug for um, the uh, Dark Phoenix saga? Uh, well, you know, it's also one of my favorites because it introduces one of, um, actually two of my favorite characters, three of my favorite characters in um, in the X-Men universe. So Kitty Pride, who is like my number one, uh, Dazzler, even though she is, uh, who is just amazing, I just love her, and Emma Frost. So, um, I know Adam has mentioned before that it's one of his favorites 
Um, and I just freaking love it. And also, I have a giant phoenix tattoo. I'm totally down for Jean Grey. Me too. Yeah. So like, I'm 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 into her. I'm all about her. Um, my phoenix tattoo was a little bit more about Rachel than Jean, but you know, whatever. I'm, that's a that's a comic book tattoo. Uh, it is. I know. Well, it's because I went to the tattoo artist and I was like, listen, so I want a phoenix on fire, wings up. And I was originally thinking more of what like the phoenix avatar looks like in the comic. And he drew this phoenix on my arm and I was like, okay, that's way cooler. I'm just going to do that instead. That sounds good. Um, I thought it had some sort of like then, spiritual meaning or whatever. I had no idea that, that was a comic book tattoo. It tattoos. kind of did. Like I, like I had just come yeah, out. That's, cool. so that's I what like, I thought about that tattoo. But... But um, but no, it was it was more comic book inspired. But anyway, um, Dark Phoenix Saga, um, not done very well on film yet. Although I hear that there might there are some hints in the new movie that's coming out at the end of May uh, with Jean Grey, and that she might have a little bit more going on than uh, damsel in distress kind of things. Um, but yeah, so there's 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 my little plug. I will see that a week from Wednesday, so I'll let you know. Uh-huh. Ugh, so see, it's timing. We will actually know what's going on in the movie when we see this. We're so good at this. <laughs> hey, Andy, since you're uh, keyed on, what do you, what's your thoughts and review on this? On Preacher? Uh, you know, I, I think, like I said, about half of it holds up really well. Half of it does seem a little cliched and a little dated. But overall, I think it's one of those seminal classics that you've got to go take a look at. It's it's kind of like reaching back and going back and watching like an old John Ford Western or something. It doesn't matter that it's dated or or anachronistic in some ways. Uh, the essence of, of what's there is still valuable and I think the, the basic kind of human question about uh, you know, having these powers of God and man's relationship to God and faith crises are even more important, um, maybe even more relevant today. Uh, so I, I give this a hearty recommendation, but only to certain types of people. Uh, I think you've definitely got to be mature. You've got to be ready for your comics to give you some more mature material to to chew on. Um, but if you're ready for that, and if that's something that you're capable of doing, uh, yeah, absolutely, people should check this out. And check out the show when it comes out. Thank you much. Uh, Adam, what's your thoughts? <clears throat> so, I mean, you know, this this came out, like much like Andy said, when I was in my dark ages of comics, too. I didn't... Um, I was big into comics as a kid, and then kind of in high school, I did read some X-Men and Spider-Man, um, but then just got busy with life, so I didn't really follow through too much. So, again, I came to this late in life, but as I said earlier, I love the, the ideas it brings up, the, the questions it asks, um, and just it really can make the person reading it ponder, I said philosophy, theology, all these things in life, you know, that most people don't even think about it or kind of take for granted. Uh, and I like any kind of literature uh, or any kind of art form, you know, movies, TV show, video game, that makes you think and stays with you after it's, you know, long gone. So, yes, is it over the top? Are they doing things, you know, to be crude just to be crude and be violent just to be violent? Yes, and that was very much, as we mentioned before, symbol of the times. Um, but the overarching theme and the ideas brought forth are still relevant. They still should resonate with everyone today and I honestly believe that every I mean yes you, it's a mature book but 
it asks the way it presents these ideas and questions. Um, it should just be required reading for anyone, specifically, especially religious people who maybe are too lost and caught in their own dogma. The whole, you know, God said it, I believe it, that settles it type thing. Um, because you need to stop and think about things. If you're if you're believing blindly, I, I really have no respect for you. If you can sit there and be like, hey, I've, I've, I'm an atheist, I'm a Christian, I'm a Muslim, I'm a, a Jew, I'm a Catholic, because I've gone and I've studied this, this is what I see, this is how it resonates with me. I'll respect you. I may not agree with your beliefs, but um, you've at least taken the time to understand, you know, what you're doing. Um, you've gone on your hero's journey. You've found the answers to your questions, um, and that's kind of what, in a sense, Jesse Custer is doing in Preacher. So I absolutely love it. Uh, it's, again, I need to finish it, but uh, just going back and just you know reading these first few books again, um, I just felt completely head over heels back in love with it. It's a fantastic opening. That makes you want more. I mean, it ends and it basically has a story that ties in and you've got the serial killer at the end and that whole thing going on and the story ties up well and then they proceed. So it could have been set up as a procedural going on or the adventures are an episodic adventures of of the overstarring arc. But the uh, volume one Gone to Texas is very satisfying and it is a full story, but it says more is to come and you want to read more. But at the same time, it does. There isn't anything about it that feels incomplete in this regard. When we were doing Civil War, I hadn't read any of the surrounding stories with it, and a lot of my understanding is the surrounding stories make it richer and better, and people love it more because of the surrounding stories, if not more so because of them, than the story itself. With Gone to Texas, it's enough all by itself. And that was quite enjoyable. Yeah, and I, um, I mean, it is a, an amazing book, and it's highly recommended. And the first time I read it, I felt like I was reading it because it was highly recommended, and that's why I was reading it. And I don't think I got the full brunt of it, um, or how good it was, because I was kind of like reading it, almost like an assignment, like, oh, well, I'm reading comic books, I should really read this book. Um, and then reading it a second time, uh, I got a lot more of the idiosyncrasies. I caught um, a lot more of, of some of the, the beauty in the writing, and I, I had a really good time with it. It is a bit dated, but I still feel like it's a strong book. And I actually, I it was one of those nice experiences I had where I, I reread something, you know, or re-experienced something later after it, you know, uh, and it held up and actually, in my circumstance, was a little bit better than I remember it being. Um, so yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, does anybody have any uh, recommendations going on uh, this week for random things, not necessarily comic-related? If they are comic-related, that's amazing. And, uh, you know, anything like that? Red Rover Charlie. Not at all. Have you ever heard of that one? Uh, Grant Morrison wrote it, and it's kind of like... You take the story of Homeward Bound, set in the after the apocalypse, and the dogs mm-hmm. and cats are left. And so you have a bunch of dogs trying to get from New York to California in a post-apocalyptic world Didn't all Grant by Morrison themselves. Didn't Grant Morrison also write uh, We Three? So he's on yes. a Homeward Bound kick or something. He kind of is. And you know, if you if we did a show with um, We Three and Red Rover Charlie together, that'd be awesome because they're, there's a lot of similarities and yet they were different from one another because these dogs and whatever in Red Rover mm-hmm. Charlie, they're just dogs. They're not trying to be anything else. They're just what they are. And we three is kind of a RoboCop take on RoboCop mm-hmm. and Homeward Bound. And uh, Red Rover Charlie's kind of like the road 
and how more bound put together. Uh, don't forget I this guess. Saturday coming out. Oh, actually, the Saturday that just passed. So I guess we're four week ahead. Uh, was Free Comic Book Day, so hopefully you went out and you had some fun stuff, and hopefully you enjoyed Civil War. Uh, so go see Civil War because I'm sure it'll be amazing. Um, again, I'm seeing it tomorrow. I'm very very excited. But go check out Green Room. I cannot stress enough how fantastic this movie is and just how much I enjoy. I haven't had that much fun with a movie in a long time. Uh, and it's the best, you know, quote-unquote horror film I've seen in years. Not that it's scary, but it very much plays out like a classic horror movie with people getting picked off one by one until you're left with the, the final two versus uh, the bad Yeah, guys. speaking of Ireland and Irish vampires, uh, a little indie movie that's... Uh, it's in Albert getting into getting into a more nationwide uh, distribution in the in the coming weeks uh, called Sing Street a story of a young boy in 1985 in Dublin uh, who forms a band at his school to try and impress a girl and it goes from there uh, just really adorable uh, this comes from director John Carney who did uh, once or and begin again so if you were a fan of either one of those films or once the musical that it was uh, based on the film uh, I highly recommend Sing Street uh, just a really cute little movie and if you can't get into Captain America Civil War it's a really good consolation prize for a date night well, and, and I mean, I just this occurred to me on an Irish, uh, keeping on the Irish bent, uh, the movie Brooklyn, which was nominated for Academy Award for Best Picture, I actually quite liked, and uh, it was a, uh, it was interesting because as a film, it made me uh, realize my uh, my biases when it comes to films. Like there were lots of characters that I thought, oh, they're going to be jerks right here, and no, they weren't. They were just kind of normal people, and. Uh, uh, so it was, it was interesting because it was a very simple story. I felt it was very sweet, but actually quite liked it. And I just realized I reviewed a movie in front of two movie critics, so that'll be... No, 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 that's, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Loved it. Yeah. Uh, well, cool. Then uh, I think uh, that'll do it for us. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. And please, anytime you want to come back, you are more than welcome to jump in here. Thank you. I will take you up on that. Okay. Yeah, well, I'll keep sending you the list of comments for reading and anything that interests you. Feel free to jump in. Okay, great. Well, Adam, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, as always. <laughs> and that'll do it for this week at the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. Next week, we'll be discussing the Dark Phoenix Saga from before most of us were born. Written by Chris Claremont and illustrated by John Byrne. Once again, if you like what you hear, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, give us a like or a good review on iTunes or Stitcher or any of those other places. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, things better left unsaid, please contact us in those places. There's also a contact tab on our website, www.funnybooksandfirewater. Until then, have a great week. And please support your local comic shop. And don't forget to tip your bartender. Death and hell followed with it.